This podcast takes you into the rarely discussed realm of the personal decisions leaders have taken that have influenced their business decisions and developed them into the leaders they are today. The refreshingly honest experiences of those who have been very successful provide an insight into the challenges they faced, the successes they achieved, and the people who influenced them along their journey. Here's our host, Mark Silvera. Welcome to Business Made Personal. This podcast is brought to you by the insurance industry's leading education and events provider, ANZIF, via their Careers in Insurance initiative. I'm Mark Silvera. I've got with me today Matt Crew. Now, Matt Crew is the manager operations and sales at Ausbreakers Countrywide. But unlike most of us in the insurance industry, Matt didn't fall into an insurance role. He actually sought it out. And we'll speak a little bit more about that later. With over 25 years, business-to-business sales experience specialising in the SME sector, Matt made the transition into insurance and is now responsible for 70 staff in one of Victoria's largest brokerages. His vision and uncompromising drive to achieve what has led to a successful stint in insurance, and with seven years under his belt, he believes there are still challenges to come, and we'll speak about some of those. Welcome to the program, Matt Crew. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. You and I go back away to before you joined the insurance industry, and we had a bit of a chat many, many years ago because you were looking to pick my meagre brains in terms of what the industry held and, and how you could go about it. I want to go back a little bit to that time and ask you why you felt that this industry was of interest to you. It's a good question, and I was lucky enough that I had some mentors in my life around a time when I was looking for a change and looking for a different challenge. But I guess, you know, sometimes uh, it's easy to decide where you want to go by ruling out what you know you don't want to do. One of the things in the role I was in previously or the career I had previously, it was a lot of project-based revenue. So if you got a new client, you worked with that client and you made a lot of revenue. But once you finished that project, you had to go and find another client. It was like a roller coaster ride, the revenue. So I wanted to go to an industry where that roller coaster ride was a bit more level. The retention and the recurring income was a bit more stable. And the insurance industry was one that fit that bill. The second thing for me was I thought I was really good or think I'm really good at business to business sales, especially in the SME sector. And I think with insurance, I didn't have to convince people to buy it and then buy it for me. They were already buying it. So half the journey felt like it was already done. It was just I had to convince them to buy it from me, and I thought I could probably do that, and that's why. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we delve into your business life, but I just want to go back to when you were growing up. Are you a Victorian by birth? Oh, yes, I was born in Victoria, but predominantly my young years in WA. Right, and that was with your family? Yes, yeah, so yeah, my mum and dad split up when I was quite young. And so my mum's family was from WA, so we moved back there when I was about 10 years old. And that's because that's where all our extended family was. So she she had a good support network back in WA. But I love growing my growing up years, Mark. I really enjoyed it. I was a very active boy, like most boys are, super competitive and would try anything once. And yeah, I think Perth was a great place for that. And so just talking about some of those traits you just mentioned in terms of being active and super competitive, at one stage in your life, you were a full-time athlete? Yeah, that's right. So when I finished high school, so when I was about 18, 19, 20, I 
had a bit of natural talent as a as a runner and to be honest my dream was I wanted to go to the Olympics I used to watch the Olympics I still watch the Olympics on TV and that's what I wanted to do that's who I wanted to be and so I pursued that for three or four years and got to a, a pretty good level pretty high standard I was WA state champion and really enjoyed it but it's it doesn't pay many bills Mark it's not a very lucrative sport and so it Probably didn't last as long as it would have, but I loved it while I was doing it. Jeez, I loved it. It was great. It didn't last as long as it could have. Was that because of your choice or was because you had reached a plateau? I definitely don't think I'd reached a plateau. I think I had definitely had more to give and could have got better. I effectively retired from doing that when I was 20, 2021, but I was very broke. Being an athlete in WA, a lot of the major competitions were in the eastern states in Australia, gift and national championships. And so it made for a lean time. You were training 30 to 40 hours a week. Um, so there wasn't a lot of time for work and it was expensive and there wasn't a lot in it. I think I got a, a, offered a, a scholarship from the Institute of Sport and I think it was $40 a week was what you got. So it was difficult. It was tough to stay as committed as I wanted to be. So were you on your own at that stage? Were you living away from your folk, your family? Yeah, still living at home at that stage. But I think the very first professional race I ran in was the Durian Bay Gift. And I think my dad made more money betting on me in that race than I actually made winning it. So it wasn't lucrative. No, well, at least he had a bit of common sense, mate. He just pulled the wallet out instead of having to... Uh... He did really well. He kept it all too, actually, now that I think of it. Talk me through what that taught you in terms of, you know, because it's quite a disciplined aspect of life, right? The, the whole the professional athleticism is quite a disciplined way of living your life. What did that give you in terms of your business life? Oh, I think it helped a great deal, Mark. I think it helps you set goals and work towards those goals. It really helps you with just pure discipline. And as an athlete, it's an individual sport. You train with a team, but it's an individual sport. So what you got out of it was a direct correlation of what you put in. And I think that sets you up very well for business life because it's exactly the same. You have to set goals and you have to work towards achieving them. And what you get out or how well you go at those is a direct correlation. Yeah, I think it holds in very good stead. So how many years have you been in insurance now, mate? Nearly eight. So I reckon about nine or 10 years ago, you and I sat down, we had a cup of coffee. Yes. You were picking my brains about the insurance side of things and how it worked and what it did. You then made the decision to jump into it. What were your thoughts when you entered into the insurance sector? Yeah, I didn't realise it was as big as what it is. Like I really didn't have that scope on the size of the industry. But now that I'm in it, obviously, it is much bigger than I expected, but I really like it. You know, you're helping people, you're supporting people, and a lot of the time you're supporting them when they need it the most, when they really need to rely on you. And I think that's, you know, I take that importance that comes with it, and I really like that. I like that you get to support people and put them in a place where they do feel safe and they do have peace of mind. And when the bad stuff happens, and unfortunately it does, then you know, you can really help them through it. As an industry, I really like that. You know, it's your first day on the job. How were you feeling in terms of your ability to meet expectations? 
Well, I remember my first day or my first week, I got given my, my sales target, my budget, if you like, and it meant nothing to me. I didn't know how much I could earn in a sale. I didn't know what it was. Um, I just knew I could sell it. It's a trust buy. Selling insurance is a trust buy. They buy it from you because they trust you because they are putting their life's work in your hands. And I thought that I could do that. I can get people to trust me and relatively quickly. And so it was just a matter of getting out there and doing it. Obviously, learning as much as I could so I didn't look like a fool. And that's very important. But I was really confident in the fact that, you know, I could get people to trust me. And so, which meant I could get them to buy from me. I just had to find a way how to do it. How did you deal with the technical aspects? Yeah, so I think you can learn a lot about something really quickly. So you can learn like 70% about something that you need to know relatively quickly. And that last 30% can take years. It can take a really long time to get there. So I tried to get to that 70% mark super fast. But I was also very comfortable on, look, I don't know the answer to that. I'll have to come back to you. And if I needed to take an expert with me, then I had great support in the business that I could take someone with. And if it was a meeting where I thought I needed that support, then I had it there and I took a technical expert with me and they provided that support and answered those questions. So, you know, eight years on, if you were to go back to that fellow eight years ago who was looking at not just picking up a new career but changing industries effectively, what would you say to him, Matt? I'd definitely say do it. I'd probably say do it earlier. If we're specifically talking about insurance, I'd say do it earlier. Have a, have a crack. Yeah. Because you didn't know what you didn't know? or For me, that's one of the things with the insurance industry is when you're in it, it's really big and you know about it. But for those like kids going through a university or people at high school and even outside of the, the industry, it's a pretty well-kept secret. And I think that's a challenge for the industry as a whole, really. One of the things that's you know, definitely true. We don't advertise ourselves particularly well. And and when we do, it's because, you know, someone's had a problem and the insurance companies haven't paid. Yes. When you were entering the industry, was that a factor for you in terms of the, let's call it the negative publicity that insurance had? No, it wasn't a factor for me. In my previous role, I was our financial controller where I worked previously. So I had some exposure to insurance and what it did and and how it worked for me in an understanding. So no, I didn't believe or maybe accept or even understand fully the bad publicity. So no, it definitely didn't stop me, didn't deter me at all. So you go home to your partner and you say, listen, honey, I'm going to give up the job that I know and I'm going to go into something I've got no idea about. How did that go over, mate? I'm really lucky, Mark. My wife, uh, Megan, she's very supportive and she always has been. I think she knew I was ready for a new challenge too. I'm definitely, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the athletics, is I I like a big challenge in front of me. I like trying, having to do something different. I have this insatiable appetite to learn. I I really enjoy learning new things. So whilst it was big and different and it was probably a phase I enjoyed the most was the introduction to it all and here you go, here's your desk, here's your laptop off you go type thing. I loved it. It was great. So you mentioned earlier on that, you know, you've had people that have supported you and and people that have assisted you. I want to ask you about mentors in your life. Have you had many of them and what's been your experience? Yeah, definitely. So, well, that's 
how I met you, Mark, was through one of my mentors in touch with you when I was talking to him about going through this process. I definitely have by four people that I say are either my mentors or my support network or the people I bounce ideas off. One's my wife, obviously. One's my dad, who I've learned a lot from and think he's fantastic. One of my best mates who we've actually been going to the gym. We've been mates for longer, but we go to the gym together twice a week. It's just gone past 17 years, Mark. So we've talked a lot of crap in that time at the gym. So, But he's a great sounding board. And I really respect his his opinion. And one's uh, my uncle, Uncle Jeff, who, again, has been very successful in business and been a great support. And they're all different and varied and give different opinions. And I think one of the great things about all four of them, and I think this is important in a someone who is a mentor, is they don't, they didn't tell me what their thoughts and then expect me to follow exactly what they said. They were happy to give me their opinion, but then make my own decision and judgment on it. And then they just supported me on what that decision was. I've been really blessed. Yeah, it's been very lucky, but it is, it's a very important aspect of who I am now, those, that network, those, that mentor or support group. And I couldn't agree with you more. I wanted to ask you, mate, you know, in terms of your business life and in terms of your personal life, has there been a significant turning point? Yeah, I think so. And it was probably when we moved to Melbourne. So my wife and I moved to Melbourne, literally just built a house in WA and just been married. And it was only within a couple of years that I caught up with my dad for lunch and he was in Melbourne already and he had his own business over here. And he, you know, he asked me one of those challenging questions on, well, what are you doing? I'd finished running or retired from running and probably had a pretty comfortable, easy, not very challenging lifestyle. And he challenged that and said, well, maybe you need to get out of Perth and come to the big smoke where there's bigger and better opportunities. And I came and and I worked with him and literally, this might sound familiar because I just said it before, but literally I sat down at a desk in an office and he said, there you go. Here's your new job. It's pretty much based in sales. Go and do it. And I didn't know a soul, did not know a soul. And I hated that first six weeks, Mark. I was making cold calls and I was making appointments in places that I didn't even know where they were or how to get there. And this was before Google Maps. So the Melways was my best friend. But geez, I learned some lessons in that time and definitely set me up for my future from there. So again, I was lucky. I got challenged by someone who cared and I guess, and supported by my wife and we took the step. So were you working for your dad at that stage where you met? Yeah, so he had a couple of businesses then. One of them was a recruitment business. And so that's where I started. And no lie, Mark, I literally walked in. I'm sure I got some training, but I still didn't really know what recruitment consultants did, didn't really understand it. And my dad's offices back then had solo offices, so it wasn't open plan. It was I literally had a desk in an office with a laptop, no one else around me, people in their own offices and a phone. And it was go your hardest. And I, I started making calls. And I remember I got an appointment out at a business in Dandenong. And so I went out to that business and went to that appointment and then spent the next hour after that meeting writing down all the names of businesses in that area because I knew how to get there. So I was cheating the system because I just knew how to get there and then went back to the office. But it was almost that day or that meeting that kicked it off because then I had a target. I had a real target market. Before then, I was just falling 
defined, it felt like. So I had a target market or a target area at least. And then, you know, later that week I had four meetings in that area. And then, you know, I had another six meetings the week after. And, you know, it just sort of grew from there. And I think it was a little bit, maybe 12 to 18 months, really started getting established in that business and, you know, started turning really good numbers as a recruitment consultant and that just sort of got from there. And, you know, look, it's often in these podcasts focused on the person I'm interviewing. The question I have for you is that you and your wife have both come here. You're struggling because you don't know the area. You're struggling because you don't know a soul. How did she cope? I'm sure she didn't like it much too. And she's a teacher, so she got a job teaching at a school, which definitely helped. The one thing that Meigs and I have done really well, I think, over our time together is we really, we're really tight. You know, we're very independent and we do things ourselves in our own way. And, you know, we used to find ways to do activities on the weekend. Surprisingly, Mark, we'd drive to Dandenong into the hills because I, that's where I knew how to get to. <laughs> we'd drive up to the, the lookout up there and we'd stop at the pie shop on the way back and grab pies. And I don't know, I think it made us, I think it was actually good for us. Oh, no. And look, those things can either bond you together or drive a wedge between you, right? No, 100%. And, you know, I'm, like I said, at the start, I'm very lucky. The support that she's shown me over the time has been unwavering. And I think we're better for it. I think, you know, she's very successful at what she does and very good at what she does. And she used to be a runner as well. So that's how we met Mark. So our personalities are quite similar on that discipline and determination. I'd hate to be your kids, Matt. They're very good kids. They're very disciplined, I'm sure. Yeah, they are. Yep. And, you know, it's we've got high expectations on them, but the beauty is I think maybe growing up how they have, they've got high expectations on themselves. So, yeah, they're good kids. Talk to me about your role, right? So you now you've had your feet under the desk for some time. What's the most challenging part of doing what you do? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask this. I think my role is keeping people happy. If I can keep the staff happy, and I think generally they are and they're great people, then they do good things. They look after our clients really well. They look after each other really well. And it means the business is a good place to be. It's difficult to keep. In total, we've got 100 staff and over 80 in this office. So it's can't keep everyone happy all the time. But I think that's the biggest challenge is keeping them happy and engaged. If you can do that, then they take care of everything else. So how do you keep them happy? Because, you know, the whole workplace dynamic has changed, predicated primarily by COVID. There's all this talk around flexible work hours, flexibility around when, who, how they do things. How do you go about meeting everybody's expectations? Well, I don't think you can. I think that's the difficult bit. You can't meet everybody's expectations, but I think as long as you can just be as balanced and as fair and as caring as you can be in a business environment then and respectful, then they see that and they understand it. Whilst they might not always like it, I think they feel safe and comfortable. If you can do all that, then I think it goes a long way. And I think the pure happiness component, it's difficult to do for everyone all the time. Definitely. You've now experienced the insurance industry, warts and all. 
if you were able to change one thing about it, what would it be, Matt? I think it's recognised universally that in, in the insurance industry, the claims is where you're really judged. The claims and your management of claims and being able to do that well and making the client happy and, and feeling satisfied during a claim and post a claim. I think everyone agrees that that's what we're here for. That's what we should do super well. I'm not sure the money or the resources or the investment follows that all the time. I'm not sure claims teams are resourced as well as they can be. And I'm talking in brokerages, but also in the insurers as well at times. Don't get me wrong, I know it's difficult because you have one major event and instantly you're under-resourced. But I think that's the one area that seems to be the part that there's most room for improvement in. And thinking about how we handle clients, given you've come from a B2B environment where the client was king, right? If the client was wrong, they were still right. How do you think we do it in the insurance sector? Do we have the same view on clients or are we a little bit more um, do as we say, not do as we do? I think the insurance industry is really blessed that it has quite a high retention rate with clients. Clients are quite sticky in the insurance industry. I think going back when you and I first met and we would and I was looking at the insurance industry, I had stats, and I think it was something like 80 to 85% of clients stick with their insurer for an average of seven years. Oh, that's a really blessed position to be in. There wouldn't be too many industries, maybe banking and maybe accountants would enjoy that sort of loyalty, if you like, from a client. So I think we're very lucky. But yeah, I do think we do do a good job at looking after clients. And that's been challenged of late when the direct market is more accessible and easier to find and easier to use. And so I think that advice piece on giving the client the information they need to make an informed decision themselves on what's the best way to mitigate their risk using insurance uh, is really important. And I don't think we can underestimate that at any point in time. It's a difficult place to navigate. I listened to your podcast that you did with Anthony Pagano, and he said, you know, it's a 75-page PDS document. Well, people can't be expected to understand that. So the advice piece, the consultative approach is really important. And I think we've got to make sure we keep delivering that service in our world, in the brokerage world, to keep those clients. So you make an interesting point. So if you look at the Roy Morgan research stats, because you mentioned accountants and then you mentioned insurance brokers in the same breath. Accountants are up at number seven or number eight, just under judges and, and university lecturers. Us poor insurance people, mate, we're languishing at fourth from the bottom, just above used car salesmen. And I'm sure there are plenty of good used car salesmen out there. But what do you think contributes to the general public perception? It's a great question. I think it must be that people have to buy it. And so if people have to buy something, then they're probably a little bit wary of the people who sell it sometimes because, I don't know, maybe that level of trust isn't there. And it does turn into, or it can turn into, a commodity buy. It can turn into a bag of rice where all you're doing is comparing the price. And there's a market for that too in some of the products. Courses for courses. It, it should be like that in some areas. I wanted to ask you, if someone came to you for advice, as you came to me to get a bit of an idea of the insurance industry, if someone popped up in your life and said, hey, look, I don't know much about this industry, but I'm interested in it and, and I might be interested in jumping into it, what would you say to them? 
Oh, I would say do it. The insurance industry is so big and so complex and there's so many career paths and opportunities within the insurance industry and the broader sector that's related to insurance. I was blown away when I first really got involved in it on just how big it was. I think it's a fantastic industry to get involved in and it's, it's got great longevity, very well supported. I would in, absolutely encourage young people, if they're not sure what they're thinking of doing, then they should give it a go. And it's one of the few industries that you can walk straight into without having to have a master's or a, you know, a, a, an MBA or anything like that, right? You can work out how that suits you. Before It's a bit of a, a cry before you buy. I wanted to ask you, just on the education front, now that I've mentioned that, how important do you think that is to developing people within the insurance sector? It's definitely important. Are you talking a, how a degree before you come in or the training once you're in the industry? I'm talking about the formal training that we provide within the industry and whether it's adequate. I think it's great. I, we have a close relationship with ANZIF, so we get a lot of graduates into our business. We'd have, and when I say graduates, I mean people, I guess the best way of putting it is new people new to the insurance industry in our business. So the, the graduate term sometimes dictates age, but that's not true. We do a lot of work with ANZIF on you know, getting the education process started and getting them trained up. I actually think it's a shame that there's not more formal qualifications to join the insurance industry by the universities. I know there used to be, and I don't think there is anymore because I think that would be fantastic. I think it would be a great way of steering more younger people into the industry as opposed to them falling into the industry, like you said before. But no, I think the, the training and the qualifications you can get once you're here, very strong. And you mentioned that, you know, and I know you guys reasonably well, because I've had a bit to do with the Ausbreakers countrywide over the years. I know you employ a lot of younger people. Is there a difference in managing their expectations? I'm going to sound controversial, Mark. I think they're impatient sometimes. I think they're really keen to grow and learn and want to be better, which I love. I think that's fantastic. But it's almost, okay, I've done that once. What's next? Whereas sometimes I want them to do it a thousand times because I want them to master it and be really good at it before they learn what's next. And it's probably balancing that. I'll admit I'm a little bit old school on, you know, do the yards and do them well before you move. And they're in general, they're slightly different to that. So there's probably a balance somewhere in the middle, really. One of the things that I think, to be honest, I didn't have really have the opportunity is they've got a choice of careers. So you can be in banking one year and then you can be in financial planning the next if you really, really wanted to. Are you seeing that that's a trend with employment? It's definitely more of a challenge now, yes. And I think you're right. I think the opportunities that are available to everyone these days is way more diverse and and especially right in current times, it's a lot more opportunities out there. And that does make it maybe more difficult to keep people and, and especially maybe the younger people. That challenge is on us to keep them engaged and keep them happy and keep them satisfied whilst keeping them treating them with respect on making sure they get the right education and the learning and the training in the business so that they're not advancing beyond what they're capable of and they're not getting a false sense of where they're at. It's a balance. You've got to try and keep that balance, but it's definitely shifted, no doubt. 
One final question for you, Matt Crew, Manager Operations and Sales at Ausbreakers Countrywide. So what's next for you, sir? I'm definitely happy doing what I'm doing and I really enjoy where I work at the moment. I think, like I said to you before, I'm a person of, I crave challenges and I have an insatiable appetite to be better, get better myself and improve and learn. So it's a good question. I'm not 100% sure what that next big challenge is. I'm keen to find it. I'm really interested in, in what that looks like. The good thing about where I am at the moment is that there's always a challenge to rise to and there's always something to challenge you, I guess identifying the right one. But can't give you a straight answer on that one, Mark. I'm not quite sure yet. The good thing is you're in a great place in terms of who you're working for with Ausbreakers Countrywide and, and I know the guys there really, really well. So I think because of their entrepreneurial nature, I think you'll always find challenges within that business, which is just awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you're 100% right. It hasn't been an issue for the last nearly eight years in the business, so I'm not predicting it will be, but I'm, I'm definitely keen to find it. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your time with us and, and filling us in, in in terms of how you got into the industry and, and why it was so important to you. Mark, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Great to catch up. Good to see you. Thank you so much for lending us your ears. Please remember to click follow on your podcast app or subscribe at bmppodcast.com.au so we can give you a sneak peek of our next guest. Until next time, I'm Mark Silvera and you've been listening to Business Made Personal.